Hey everyone, Ian here from post-production with some commentary before we get started this week. We had some issues with audio during this interview. My audio input got swapped to my webcam from my microphone, which resulted in the live stream having no audio at all, and my recorded audio sounding something like I'm talking through a fish tank. Everyone else's audio recorded correctly though, and I cleaned mine up as best I could so that hopefully you'll still be able to understand me. Uh, I apologize for the quality of the audio on my end, and I can guarantee that next week we will be back up to our regular recording quality. So now, let's get on with the show. Welcome to Undercommon Taste. This is a podcast where we create and discuss homebrew content for tabletop RPGs. Traveling. It leaves you speechless, then turns you into a storyteller. I'm Ian Woodworth. I'm joined by my co-host James Daly, and today we have a trio of special guests. I think this is the first time... No, this is the second time we've had three guests on, because we had World Build with us. We had three guys with them. Yes. We are joined today by the cast of Tabletop Journeys. Welcome to Undercommon Taste. Yes, welcome. Hey. Thank you so much. Hello. Nice you. Thanks for having us. Pleasure to be here. So if you would be so kind, please give yourselves some introductions in case our listeners haven't heard of Tabletop Journeys before. Just a little bit about your podcast and, and what sure. you're about. Cool. Excellent. That is totally my question. I'm all over that. Uh, so <laughs> I'm uh, I'm Josh. I'm the resident tech guy. Uh, do most of the editing, most of the scheduling and everything like that. And I'm joined by my two co-hosts, Glenn and Lee Winico. I'm Glenn. He's I'm Lee Winico. And we are Tabletop Journeys. (laughs) (laughs) You always try to synchronize that and it never works out. Um, So Tabletop Journeys ostensibly is a podcast all about various aspects of the tabletop role-playing space. We talk a lot of Dungeons & Dragons because there's a lot of Dungeons & Dragons in the tabletop role-playing space. But we love talking... Yeah, but we love talking to indie creators about what makes their game awesome and cool. You know, we love doing interviews with awesome people. We do a lot of uh, deep rules dives into various gaming books and everything like that. And we also do several different uh, actual play shows uh, that kind of rotate through our calendar. So Excellent. And that actual play front, though, some of those are with playtests of the indie creators. That's right, one of my yeah. favorite parts. Yeah, we get I, to have, I love that concept. When yeah, we get we're, to have somebody run their game for us. That's right. hot. That's my, yeah. that, that's a favorite yeah. part of my job. <laughs> yeah, I, I would love to say that I was smart enough to go ahead and come up with that idea by myself, but I totally uh, liberally stole it from another podcast. So kudos to the RPG Academy who came up with that idea first. In fact, actually, Mike from the RPG Academy is coming on to go ahead and run his Action 12 Cinema game in a couple months here. So that's a uh, oh, fantastic. So he, yeah. he, he clearly yes. did not mind. <laughs> <laughs> you recently had a friend of our show, Mike Daniel from 19 Hits mm. the Dragon, on talking about the Blood Hunter. And I've been yes. I've been working through that one, uh, mainly because Mike was insisting on his spicy, spicy hot take of the Blood Hunter. <laughs> and, and, you know, listening to it, I have to agree with him. Yeah, he's, he's not wrong. He's right? not wrong. <laughs> he's, yeah. We've, we've uh, had the pleasure of working with and gaming with Mike for the better part of a year and a half now. Right. And I can tell you, he's rarely wrong to begin with when it comes to this stuff. But he's also never been more right than he was in that hot take. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, and- amazingly insightful statement he made. 
And so much fun to drop dice with, too. We've actually played with him twice now. Uh, We had him in our Aliens special for Halloween last year. And uh, we invited him to join us with the real thing that is actually just, I think, is their Kickstarter still alive? No. That was so much fun. Kickstarter funded and closed, uh, but it's an amazing game. And I'm sure it will be available in some fashion after Kickstarter folks uh, have been satisfied with their gifts and whatnot. It was was a great Powered by the Apocalypse build based on the Faith No More album, The Real Thing. And it was just an amazing amount of fun. So that, that sounds really cool. I remember that interview. That yeah. Did with yep. That's right. We, we had so much fun. It was criminal. Like, like <laughs> I, got, I got done. Like, are we actually sure. allowed to have that much fun on the interwest? <laughs> like who's coming for me? Cause that was really cool. <laughs> knocking on my door. We had the, the great privilege of playing with him and the guys from Goblin's Corner. Eric yeah. from Goblin's Corner ran a game for us where we played as four clerics. Yeah. That was a lot Ooh. of fun. Nice. Yeah. We've yeah. talked about doing an all cleric party because of the number of things you can do oh, with that. Exactly. No, it was just was that it party as fun was as so we said. Was it as fun as we think it would have been? Absolutely yes, it was. was. Absolutely. Absolutely Fantastic. was. Yeah. We were Good all down, level man. eight clerics and it was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I was an orc forge cleric. I had I had an eight, I was in full plate. I had an AC of 21, 23 when I popped Shield of Faith. Yes. Oh, yeah. Nice. Man. Yeah, it was some good stuff. On the rare occasion <laughs> I got hit, it hurt a lot. It hurts or nothing. <laughs> yeah, it's hard right. or nothing though. I have a Forge cleric at my home game, and uh, I think he's rocking a twenty-four on the regular uh, at this point. And I have made adamantine exceptionally rare because if he gets that, I'm never touching the guy. <laughs> <laughs> right. yeah. It's like. Like every bad guy is going to have some kind of deck save ability because that's yeah, the only yeah. way of catching this this uh, dwarf forge cleric. Yeah. There's a, spells are always an option, and yeah. when, when you can't hit AC, go for the mind, yeah. Yeah. the brains, deck save, yeah. <laughs> deck save deck, for deck. my cleric. Yeah. yeah, deck save is where I catch it more often yeah. than not. He's he's about to pick up the shield master feat so he can add his shield's AC to his deck save. So that'll help. Yeah, that's just cheating. (laughs) Brutal. He's got a minus one to his deck save. Come on. Yeah. But (laughs) as much fun as this is, you guys are here because you guys have something to bring to the table today. So what do you guys have for us? Yeah. So we recently put out on uh, DMs Guild our latest publication. Uh, it is a 60-plus page book called The Traveler's Guide to the Multiverse, full of all sorts of player and story options. If you are looking to take your home game beyond the ethereal plane. Yeah, we we tried to plan it with Monsters of the Multiverse coming out, not knowing exactly where things were going. You know, there'd been hints of Spelljammer, which is now confirmed. I don't know whether or not we're going to see Planescape anytime soon, but the concept is still just brought back up with the multiverse. So we kind of tried to touch on as many aspects of it as we could. No, I love that. The design was really about what are the things that we would like to see in a new monster book, in a new race or lineage book that we think wizards will not give us. You know, we came off a year where the back half of the year was not everything 100% the way we would have preferred it to be. Like we didn't get all the things we wanted, but we noticed there are some great creators out on DMs Guild that are doing amazing work, Splinterverse and that. And we'll talk more about that later on. But we saw that doing supplements for the books that you know were coming out and putting in the things, filling the niches where the information is probably not going to be there is really what 
makes a book sing. It's why we go out and get books. I look for the things that are not in a Watsy book. I don't need the things that are in a Watsy book. I need the things that are not there. I need the no, rules and the types sense. of mechanics that are a lot of fun that are not showing up in the official big company publications. So we really designed with that in mind. We had a couple heads up. Josh <laughs> had uh, done some play tests with Watsy on Spelljammer, though he was not able to say that was the case. Oh, uh, I, so I <laughs> I, I joined him he on was one sitting of those. On his, he, he was like bouncing in his seat so many times while working on the book, <laughs> waiting like, for announcements to come out so he could tell us because yeah. he takes his NDAs seriously. Yeah, yeah. as you should. Like, uh, I mean, that's how you get more NDAs, right? That's how you get more <laughs> NDAs, exactly. Yeah. We, were, we were legit. There were things we knew that we couldn't speak on. And as soon as it was official, we spoke on it. And, you know, we had some things in mind. Like I knew just from the playtest I was in, it's like, we got to do something really cool to make the ship better. Like, I yeah. don't know what else is going to be there, but we knew there were things that needed to make the ship sing, whether it be a Spelljammer ship or going back to Ghosts of Saltmarsh. I play in a play-by-post Ghosts of Saltmarsh game, which okay. is amazing. The guy running that is such a cool DM, so giving and informative, and it's a play-by-post game. So there's a whole different thing that you have to do to get that to work right. Yeah, but, I tried to run a play-by-post game forever ago through it via Facebook, and it kind of went, but it just... I couldn't quite get it to flow right. Yeah, he's got it down. We're doing really well and I'm enjoying it. But again, ships were missing things. Like there were things that I didn't feel that were there. And part of its experiences that I've had, Glenn mentioned, raised by a sailor. My stepdad was in the Navy as well. I spent time on the USS Constitution. So I've been on one of the greatest tall ships there is while it was underway for uh, 4th of July. Done that twice. I've seen the weapons. I've polished the brass on the ship. There's all kinds of cool things about it that I just have this nice knowledge. And I'm like, how cool would it be to bring an element of that to the game table? And so nobody else is doing it. So what the heck? That's what Tabletop Journeys is going to do. Yeah, no, that's great. And the fact you have that kind of experience to bring, so it's not like you're just making stuff up or pulling it out of the air. You have some nuts and bolts like this is the way it should happen. I love that. That actually allows us to transition into one of the questions that I had prepared because one of the more prominent portions of your book involves siege weapons and their use. So can you go into a little bit of detail on how you actually implemented rules that Watsi forgot to include in the book on how to actually run siege engines? So I don't think it's so much that they forgot. I think they didn't want to deal with it. I mean, the small amount of siege weapon stuff in the core rule book is in the Dungeon Master's Guide on page 255, 256. And it's just a brief list of siege weapons with almost no rules. There is no weapon proficiency. They get a static generic attack bonus. And there were previous editions where you had more options than that with siege weaponry in not just D&D, but in a lot of other games as well. And I'm also developing a uh, nautical domain of dread where ship-to-ship combat's kind of being worked with and played on. And so wanting to expand on these rules was important. And it started out originally as a concept. Lewanika and I were just spitting around a while ago and it just kept evolving and when this came out we're like all right we need to make this work and it was a solid effort to finish getting everything together and then to test it and some of it didn't make the cut because it hasn't had sufficient testing yet but i'll get to that (laughs) in a second but basically we wanted to also find a way to bring the players to the siege weapons to that aspect of combat because you get into ship to ship combat or you get into a large siege style combat it's tough to run party style, right? There are different rule sets out there that give you different roles on a boat from captain to first mate, etc. Well, a crew-served weapon, which is effectively what a siege engine is, takes multiple people to operate. So our idea was, all right, let's make the player or the 
leader of the crew, the person that all the actions are based off of, because they're the ones that has to organize everything and lead the team to success. And that gives you the option. If you've got one ship and only you know a couple of people can steer it, you got a party of eight, you could have three different players running different cannon crews or ballista crews, and each one's running their own crew. So they're making their own rolls and checks Perfect, for yeah. firing those weapons and shot placement. And it kind of puts a little bit more of the action into their hands. No, I love that. Yeah. And that's, I mean, you talk about the siege, that would be a really fun campaign and it would take a special group of players to do it, but I would love to actually have even not a full campaign, but an arc, maybe like a four or five session arc where you're either sieging or you're in a siege city. So you've got the siege, you've got, you know, all the inner turmoil of the settlement or the city. You've got the stuff outside the walls. You have people trying to infiltrate in or people trying to exfiltrate out. I yeah. think that would be a lot of fun with a lot of mission hooks to run through. Yeah, you, absolutely. You, in that situation, you get into, sorry, not to cut you off there, Leonica, because I think I, you're going to say exactly the thing that I was going to say, is that in that kind of situation, you get into one of our favorite plot elements, and that's resource management. Yes. You know, where it's like uh, when the city is under siege and the food starts running out, who starts getting do? crankiest? Yeah. 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 One of my favorite scenes in Henry V, because I'm going to go Shakespeare. I'm going to take awesome. us, you know, take us to school a little bit, uh, <laughs> is the scenes at Half Fleur, where it pretty much opens where they're in the mines with some of the minor players in this play. And I do speak specifically about the Kenneth Branagh version. I highly recommend it. It's an amazing film. I love Kenneth Branagh and I love that movie. But I love the fact that, like, you show the guys tunneling and you show the siege weapons going and just the sheer terror that the town feels from these weapons no one's actually even gotten in yet it's just it's a coming but the force being brought to bear is enough where henry just stands out and says look i'm gonna hold off for a moment here but i warn you if i go back and tell them to start firing again we're not gonna stop till we break in your doors we kill your old people and all your women and children will be crying and screaming that's what's gonna happen if i go back to war what are you gonna do are you gonna give up or are you gonna fight me and the governor's like, yeah, I'm out. <laughs> Come on in. It's all yours. Please be nice. Yeah. You know, uh, and clearly, I paraphrase, Shakespeare was much better at all that. <laughs> That's kind of the Reader's Digest version, modernized for you know <laughs>, laughs. But it's an amazing scene. It's really well done. And I can tell you, that was kind of the things that were roaming in my head, getting those dramatic moments that you see. Like if you watch Master and Commander, where you see the crews and the crew on the weapon has very few speaking lines, but they're great NPCs, right? And if the player is working with them consistently, you get that great NPC interaction. You get that crew morale thing going. And then if a hit happens and people die, it has poignance. Yeah. Right now, if you don't have the ability to interact with people on the boat, who cares? You don't care. Yeah, exactly. And we wanted to make it so everything that's going on on the ship is something you want to care about. And that's kind of the process I took with it. It was like, how do I make these things matter? No, I love that. Because again, like you said, just, oh, sorry, go ahead. And I was going to say, and Glenn was perfect. And then we need to do this. We need to do that. And he was right with me on the overall vision and really let in with, here's how we can make the weapons work. And then I kind of added a few things that I knew about. And between the two of us, we really got this to kind of move together. We brought Josh in to help us smooth out some of the mechanics. And before long, we had something that was really, really going well. And it went through a lot of changes before it got to what on the page. And they were good changes to make. (laughs) But at its core, at at its core, it does still work with the DMG rules, which was part of your original question. Because a little bit that they give you is they break it down so that because you can't fire a trebuchet every six seconds, right? DMG says it takes two actions to load, two actions to aim, and one action to fire. So we based it off of that, but we created a skill proficiency 
and then some feats and basically gave you abilities to shave some time off of that. So if it takes five rounds to fire, if you're operating at max capacity, that can shave a round off. Okay. Right. And there are different things that can help you do that, but only to a certain point. And for the timing on that, we tried really hard to start out going with some nuts and bolts and some research. And like for a cannon, the fastest rate that we have that you can fire a cannon is every two rounds, which is 12 seconds. Fastest historically was Napoleon's elite cannoneers, and they fired on average every 13 seconds. That's impressive. That is incredibly impressive. Yeah. That's kind of how we really dug into this is really like, how do we make this? D&D is not a reality simulator. It's not supposed to be. Right. But you have to almost pretend it is in order for it to have resonance with people. Right. No, that that totally makes sense. Yeah. And we were able to kind of put things together in a way that did that. And we did it through a couple different means. Like Glenn said, we have backgrounds, we have proficiencies, we have feats, and then we have the weapons, and then we have the specific types of ammunition. So there's like five different things that add into this suite of things that is effectively crew serve weapons. And uh, they can work on everything from a boat sailing the ocean to a uh, spell jammer sailing the astral sea. Yeah, I love that. And talking about like the different types of weapons and stuff, you know, coming back and I reference old, old games that I've played, but uh, Sid Meier's Pirates of all things, you know, I think yeah. it was very similar to like Sega's Hook. But, you know, when you're coming up and you can have your weapon selection, whether you're shooting round shot or chain shot to like tear down mm-hmm. their sails and limit them or, or grape shot just to wipe out the crew on the deck so you could board and cause chaos, you know. And so <laughs> I love that, you know, you guys have these different weapon types and things you're going to use for that fit scenarios and things like that. It's um, funny you should say that additional ammo type for yes. different effects is what got cut because we didn't have time to finish playtesting oh, it. So that's going to yeah. come out. <laughs> I was going to say, but, I don't remember that being in the review. Yeah. I mean, it, it so, first started out with one of the guys we had helping us go over the mechanics. He's like, okay, so I hit the boat, but now you have this extra effect that could affect the personnel. Where on the boat did I hit? Yeah. And that yeah. was the piece that we didn't have time to finish hammering out. Gotcha. <laughs> And make sure it was play tested enough for shot placement. So gotcha. yeah, yeah, hopefully yeah. we'll have that rolling out in a little <laughs> yeah. bit. Oh, that, that'd be so, great if you could. Yeah. yeah, no, that'd be awesome. Yeah, the cruiser weapons are not done with this book. Different ammunition types. So we're going to see what comes out in the Spelljammer book to see if there's other ways to expand other things to power weapons, things like that. You know, we've got ideas. We kind of want to see where they're going to go with it, to see what fits best okay. to kind of fit in with that. And, uh, you know, I had totally forgot about chain shot. Um, I'm gonna because <laughs> magical yes. ammunition, like oh yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, yeah. A, there's a bunch, yeah, there's yeah. a bunch of fruit on that vine. Yeah, oh, yeah. Karen Sales is a good one. Yes, uh, absolutely. So another large section of your book is magic items. There are a yeah. bunch of magic items in this book, and they range from you know your standard you know magic weapons, magic jewelry, that sort of thing, all the way up to portable transdimensional portals and <laughs> effectively trans-dimensional FaceTime devices. Um, So I have to ask, what were your favorite items that are included? If you each had to showcase one item on the list, what would it be? It's a pick your favorite child conversation. (laughs) Exactly. I have this answer prepared, so I'll dive in there. So, uh, uh, but I'm also going to be a little bit generic about it because my favorite magic item is not any one magic item. What I love most about the book is how we kind of included various kind of out of game pop culture references that have nothing to do with D and D, but are just fun to reference and make and kind of point out and, Easter and kind eggs. of uh, love Easter eggs. Uh, yeah. little Easter eggs exactly. So, I mean, you talk about the transdimensional portal, right? We call Beckett's unreliable doorway, uh, <laughs> which of course is a reference to Quantum Leap, right? Yes. And how he could never go to the same place twice and didn't know where he was going, everything like that. The Mace of Asbury, which is totally a reference to um, the song Fire Woman by the Cult. 
Um, nice. So, you know, yeah. So it's like, so that's kind of in a much more generic sense. I think that's kind of my favorite part of, uh, of the book as a whole and specifically in the magic items, because I think it really shown in that section in particular. You want to go, Glenn? he's pondering i know which one he wants to go with and i don't want to take it from him because it's one of my favorites too it's his concept there was a whole lot of team effort to polish it out unless i'm wrong yeah and it's not the dragon chess set it is so hard i really do love the dragon chess the imperium dragon chess set is amazingly fun it is an item that i kind of put together in concept for my homebrew game uh so it has actually been play tested a bit and it was more about the background to my homebrew campaign world that was just really fun and i thought it fit the theme of this book really well so we put it in this book glenn developed an amazing set of challenge rules to kind of go with the narrative that i had i had mostly a narrative for it he had some of the special stuff and then i don't remember who found the picture i think that was probably that was you josh that found the picture on that yep yeah uh the picture that we had which we just it was so beautiful and it really made this test set feel impressive it's a whole page picture and just had to be that way like it's a whole page for the test set description as well yeah one, one full packed page so many things can be done like I was wondering, like, how do you go against the bad guy who can't be physically beaten and beat them? Well, you got to beat him in something else. What makes more sense than to beat him at a chess game? Yeah. And that's kind of what this is with the results magically binding and held accountable by the souls of two dragons that are bound within the set. Yeah, this is the kind of item that gets brought out at the end of a campaign. And it's really up to the player group to say, okay, who's going to play this game? Are we going to agree to these terms? Well, guess what? This is magically binding. It has to. And the narrative behind why it is and how it works is all in there. And it really hits and it makes sense. So I think it's just so much fun. That kind of reminds me of the lore of, you know, beating death in a game, you know, for your soul. (laughs) Like when death shows up, it's like, hey, let's play a game because, you know, you're not going to win a punch and fight with death. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) exactly. You know, and it kind of goes back to that uh, Bill and Ted's uh, excellent uh, excellent adventure. (laughs) Uh, uh, Bogus journey, rather. He's like... Best two out of five, damn right. (laughs) (laughs) Well, my favorite line from that entire movie. Yeah, I love that movie. (laughs) And I did love that you included skill challenge rules for it in case you didn't want to have people sit down and actually play a game of chess. Play a game of chess. (laughs) I loved the way those came out, but. I mean, it can be done either way, but again, if you're playing chess, then it really depends on who your players are, and you yeah, can definitely. do it either way, right? Mm-hmm. I but a full chess. game of chess is a lot to ask of the rest of your party to sit spectator, right? which yeah. I think we straight up say in the description. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 I've played chess since I was four years old, oh, awesome. so I can honestly tell you I've played a couple of times where I'm playing with somebody else. Terrible, terrible. <laughs> Not a good idea. You have to be so in sync with somebody in order to play chess because it's all in your head and it's yeah, all no, about weight. So it's not like playing spades, which I also play. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I imagine if you trained up with a partner, you could get very good at it. But the skill challenges was definitely the way to bring the game into the game. Yes. And I thought that was really well done by uh, Glenn. That also allows for a character who has a skill set different from the player playing the character to still perform well in the game. Yes, absolutely. I mean, like I said, I'm relatively skilled. I'm not a chess champion and I have not played actively in quite a few years, but I'm pretty good. And if my players were not at least up to that level, 
it would be an unfair advantage, I would think, for me to use my skills. And I'm not good at not playing to the best of my ability. I was taught by some amazing father figures in my life who the concept Amazing of, could be substituted with merciless. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, my father was one of them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Glenn's dad definitely was one of them. You know, and I could tell you, whether it be with D&D or other games, Monopoly or playing Risk with another good friend of mine's dad, I was probably 16 before I ever won a game of Risk. I played since I was about five years old. Awesome. And most times I was beaten pretty handily and very quickly. And when I finally won, it meant something. So I don't do that. Like my kids, when my kid first got me in a stalemate at chess, he was like 13 years old and we've been playing for about six or seven years. And that meant something like he actually got me in a stalemate and I wasn't slacking. I wasn't cutting in corners or whatever. And so I have a hard time doing that at the game table. So skill challenges was absolutely the way they had to go. (laughs) Yeah. In my case, my dad taught me how to play chess and I've been playing chess since I was about six, seven years old. And the first time I beat him was probably about 13, 14. And for some reason, he wouldn't play me again after that. <laughs> there are a couple of older masters who are like that once you pass them. Like, no, 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 yep. I don't want to do that anymore. You did, you did good and enjoy. Yeah. <laughs> Go out and teach somebody here. else now. Did you have an item you wanted to bring up, Glenn? I'm going to cheat. Okay. Because I do that a lot. Oh, that's um, because you mentioned one of them, so I can't help but not. So. I struggled with the magic items at first, and then I came up with a bunch. And I says to Josh and Lee, I'm like, Traveler's Guide to the Multiverse, because we kind of picked the title first. How do I make magic items for that? And Josh is like, well, you know, think modern travel and then turn it magic. And that's kind of how things progress. So you've got the Dream Quartz Planar Mirrors, which are the FaceTime device that you were mentioning. (laughs) And there's a reasonably but vague lore on how they were made that's pretty cool in there. But they're literally a scrying device that are connected. Two people both have to attune one to each half, but then they can be used across any planes to hold a 10-minute face-to-face conversation once a day. No, Um, And then uh, the Azerite Power Crystals, that's a portable charger. It carries extra magic item charges for you. It's not a lot. We had to make it a slow build because otherwise it would be overpowering if you could just keep recharging all of your magic items. And Sprocket's Traveling Compendium is a Kendall. It's a whole bunch of books that fit inside a book. It's the Hitchhiker's Guide. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. But my favorite magic item that I designed as I dug into Sigil... Uh, and why I've really been hoping for Planescape, because as I've been digging into the lore of Sigil for this book, I wrote a background for it, the Sigil uh, Light Bear. Mm-hmm. The Cage Rattler is a Sigil-specific magic item that I love, because Sigil's called the Cage. I really yes. like that one, too, yeah. Um, that is my favorite magic item that was crafted. One thing you guys mentioned I definitely wanted to bring up, because this draws so many people into D&D books and things like that, but the art you put in the book, I love, mm. love the art you guys added. A lot of it has kind of that old kind of pulp sci-fi feel like I grew up reading Clark and Purnell and Heinlein and things like mm-hmm. that. And so a lot of these remind me of these book covers and I'm just like, yes, I love it, you know, because it has just that old feel and the art is just beautiful in there. So, I mean, if you want to flip through and just look at pictures, you can totally do that. So, yeah. Thank you. We appreciate that because that was a big focus for us in this book too, is that we knew to make the book special that it needed art. And we're a small crew and a small shop. We don't have the budget as much as we would love to go ahead and throw oodles of money at people to go ahead and make custom pictures for this. We just don't have that kind of budget. And so, you know, we use a subscription service. Just, um, Deposit photos. Deposit photos. photos, Thank you. Yeah. We use deposit photos and the art that we were able to find, we were really, really happy with what we were able to find. And for most of the pieces that we knew that we wanted art for, we had 
four or five things that we could go ahead and pick through and kind of had to say, well, we love this picture, but we want to use it for something else and stuff like that. But the art was really a focus. And so uh, I'm glad that it uh, seems to be successful. And we brushed up some uh, Photoshop and altering skills a little bit just to help some of it, (laughs) some of it pop. Like the the cover is a conglomeration of, I think, three or four different images. Yeah, Yeah, I was going to say there was really like three separate phases to the art direction where I think if we were to put an art director on the page, all three of us would wear that hat. We basically, (laughs) when we had finished all of our primary writing and we were doing our editing phase, it was take a week, find any picture for any item you think will work. And then we saved them all into folders. And then we had a series of meetings where we went through all the pictures and selected as a group, which pictures would go with which things. And then as those were selected, Glenn and Josh did a couple as well, but mostly Glenn then took some things where he's like, we don't have quite the right thing, but we're going to manipulate the pictures in some ways because we bought the rights to be able to do so, so we could manipulate it to make it fit our purpose. But there's a lot of searching and there are a few of them that were very last minute because <laughs> we didn't find what quite fit. Uh, until the I, last minute. <laughs> until the last minute. I'm thinking of the Mo- the Montbank and the, yeah, that was really good. That was and a great the bridge fun. from one of the adventures. The bridge to enlightenment. Yeah, the Bridge to Enlightenment adventure. Those two pictures took forever to find. It was literally a three-hour search uh, before I found the picture for the Montbank. And I was never 100% happy with it until Josh found another service that could turn an actual photograph of a person into a sketch. Oh. And then we yeah. were like, that is that's the- what made it pop. That's what yeah. made it fit the book. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It was not quite there until that happened. And yeah. the bridge, to be honest with you, if there's one thing I will say, and I love that picture, it is not the view I actually wanted. I actually wanted a different perspective, but I searched for about four hours for a, <laughs> a stone bridge that appeared high in the mountains with a specific perspective. And I never quite found that. So, you know, at some point in the future, you know, we win the lottery, uh, this starts uh, paying all our bills so we can quit our day jobs. I would commission a photo for that spot and we'll update everybody and tell everybody, Hey, (laughs) exactly. Go re-download the book. We got a better picture out for you. That's a screen cap from Skyrim just outside of Mark Earth, right? (laughs) (laughs) No, I don't, I I don't think so. I think that's actually a real photo, but that's, yeah, but it totally looks like Skyrim. You're right. The the picture that he had in his brain. Oh yeah. 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 Probably. Yeah. Like as you're crossing the bridge heading into white run there like that. Yeah. I can totally (laughs) see it. Yeah. All right. So, Many of the items that you have in the book, in the flavor text for the item, have a lot of references to other planes, and primarily to the inner planes. Most notably, fire and earth show up a lot, air a couple of times, the para-elemental plane of ooze shows up in one of them. Fun. Um, and <laughs> you also have several items that have other world names, again, you know, trying to tie it into Spelljammer a little bit. Hmm. But there don't seem to be any items, at least... Not that I noticed that are tied specifically to any of the outer planes. Is that intentional? Is that just how it happened to turn out? Is it because we're planning on there not being a 5e Planescape book? Hmm. So I actually have a bit of a hot take on that. I actually spent some time for the benefit of our viewers and the members of our Facebook group looking at articles and trying to keep my thumb on the pulse of what's coming. And I actually read an article, I believe it was Bella Souls, but it might have been comic book news or I'm not sure which one it was. But they mentioned the fact that there's a good possibility that Dark Sun 
and possibly Planescape may make an appearance with Spelljammer as a world or series of worlds you can visit. So they won't necessarily get a full treatment this year, but you may get a piece of them so you can kind of get some basic rules. And I don't know if that was a guess or inside knowledge. That's hard for me to say at this point, but I was thinking that that makes a lot of sense. So I'd say before 2024, there's a remote possibility that we may get some kind of treatment. Planescape, I don't know if we're going to get a full module or book. Look, there's one more that we're definitely getting next year that we know of. I just don't know what that's going to be. We'll see as the UAs come out. Maybe we'll get back together and say, aha, it was Planescape. Uh, that would be awesome. You know, we've already got the sigil stuff. So we've got some things. I have some great ideas for Mechanus and a few other things that would really work well. You know, I think there's a lot of good fun that we could have and our players can have in that world. I am ready for a new Modron March. I'm just, I'm there for it. <laughs> but here's here's what I know. Now that we have Spelljammer, we can just make that up. We can get there. There's some fruit on that vine. I don't think we went there too far because as we got going, we had a deadline in mind. We had a scope in mind for a relative page count. And uh, we actually cut several great magic items for space, not content. So there's other things that are not in this publication that will be in future publications simply because there wasn't room for that. So we really got in this book, I don't want to say the best of the best, like it's better than the other things, but we got the things that fit the theme of this book best. So other things that were adjacent, but not quite on point, those got moved to the side for the things that were on. So what you're telling me is that there's going to be a traveler's guide to the multiverse extended tour. Uh, I mean, I think that we can safely say that other planes of existence like Shadowfell will make significant appearances in many of our books coming forward. Awesome. Yeah. Traveler's guide is a series (laughs) and this is the opener. I like it. That fills me with a, Bunch of anticipation and hope. I love it. <laughs> Interplanes are also <laughs> super, super easy when you're working with item creation to tie to because, you know, the primordial forces uh-huh. of creation. Yeah. And they're also some of the easiest, depending on how you choose to do uh, your plane access, for people to stumble into aside from Shadowfell or the Feywild uh-huh. because places where in the real world the elemental plane of fire butts up against it or easy crossings but yeah no we didn't delve too much into the outer planes i had one that i was working with but it just was blowing my mind and i wasn't <laughs> right so, yeah fair enough. start dealing with pandemonium and stuff yeah they do get a little complex over time yeah <laughs> yeah we've been slowly working our way through the outer planes we got two left we've got gehenna and bitopia left hmm. and uh as we get Towards the end of our tour, they're starting to break up into two episode things. Yeah, yeah. and each episode's ended up being about ninety minutes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, we well, know I've, that feeling. Yeah, probably yeah. because yeah. I went and bought all of the second edition Planescape books to start yeah. peeling through. Nice. And nice. as you were saying, if they bring stuff up more with Spelljam, you know, that'd be great. As long as we get more than like the half paragraph we get in the back of the DMG for everything right now. It's like they came up and they had a deadline. And they're like, here, just write a sentence and we'll fix it later. And they shipped it out. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, if I were to hazard a guess, I think it was if we don't say something, they're going to yell at us like we forgot. Yeah. So that. let's just say something. It's there. Okay, great. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. To be honest, I mean, I heard the Dark Sun teaser too, but I'm not trying to be a Debbie Downer, but it doesn't uh, fill me with hope because uh, it's three books and they're already covering Spelljammer. Yeah. 
right? Gotcha. So even if they're covering Dark Sun as a world that you can visit with your vessel, it's not going to be able to get much more treatment right. than a Domain of Dread from Van yeah. and Richten. Yeah, it's, it's going to be just exactly. right? so it's, it's yeah. going to be like a column or two of information. It's not going to be a full setting. Yeah, and I actually think is fine because once they do that, then folks like Tabletop Journeys, all the folks that we've had the ability to interview and work with that write for DMs Guild, we can take it the rest of the way. I yeah. mean, there's a yeah. big bucket to be carried, but <laughs> yeah. we can carry that the rest of the way. We just want to get some kind of idea of how it'll fit into the rules. And gotcha. if they at least give us that framework, then it's like, now we can go. Yeah. Like if they're pretty clear about here's what we think should be in a 5e Dark Sun, we got the rest. Yeah. <laughs> and I think you're on the right track. And I, I agree with you too, Luanika, that a kind of Domain of Dread-esque treatment of Dark Sun. Glenn, I was going to say exactly the same thing before you said it. So that's creepy that you're in my head. I, <laughs> please get out. Yeah. Well, um, but, <laughs> please get out. <laughs> no, exactly. Right, yeah. But I mean, like shameless self-plug, we did a whole episode on Dark Sun in 5e to try to figure out if and how Dark Sun could make its appearance, not just in 5th edition Dungeons & Dragons, but make its appearance in 2022 in the world that we live in now. Because there's a bunch of really problematic elements of Dark Sun. So I can see Wizards wanting to say, you know what, we're going to give Dark Sun a two or three page treatment. Highlight the things that we want to highlight and not highlight the things that we don't want to highlight. And that will be enough for most people. You know, I can see them making that decision. Yeah. And shameless plug for that episode. One of the key (laughs) things that we said about Dark Sun is just advance the timeline. You can say an aeon ago, there was all these bad things, whether it be slavery and all these other things. Guess what? We're beyond that now. So things are repaired a bit and you're beyond it. That way, canon is canon, but you don't have to talk about it. You're not playing in that space. We're now playing. I mean, otherwise, what's the point of writing it? Yeah. You know, and now we can go forward and you can get rid of the lineages that were problematic. Um, you know, <laughs> we've done some reviewing of some 2e stuff to kind of see hey what are some lineages that haven't been brought forward that we can bring forward and we were shocked and dismayed yeah. at some of the stuff we read like i was like blown away with some of the stuff i, I remember read. it from then too it just didn't stand in the forefront of my mind so rereading yeah. i'm like oh yeah, yeah. like oh, there's a couple oh. of them and they're in some of our favorite settings, by the way. Like one of them that's in Dragonlance. I took out my old Dragonlance Adventure hardcover <laughs> and it's sitting right on the shelf behind me over here behind the screen there. And I can tell you, I was like, are you kidding me? Yeah. Basically, the Hadozi were in Dragonlance. I didn't even remember that, but they were there and they're in that book. And I'm like, but they weren't called the Hadozi. <laughs> <Yeah. they were laughs> well, they were called worst thing in Spelljammer, but they were uh, whatever they were called in Dragonlance wasn't significantly better. <laughs> right. And that is something that Wizards has been doing recently that I think is good for them and good on them as they are stepping up and they are owning a lot of that past and they're saying, you know what, this is where we came from and it does not translate to today. It wasn't yeah. right then, it doesn't make it right now, but we're going to address it and we're going to do what we can to fix it while not completely upending past lore and canon. And I think authors like Salvatore and things like that have stepped up and done a really good job of addressing that. And so, you know, I will tip my hat to them. And so we might not get a full write-up of some of our outer planes because they do have some business they got to handle first. And mm-hmm. again, yep. I'm okay. Cough, cough, Arcadia, cough, cough, cough. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Last question on my list. What's the story behind the collaborative world building tables at the yeah. end of the book? Because you yeah. do have a, a pair of D20 tables that have various collaborative world building hooks that you can use in collaboration with a party at the table. 
So what, yeah. what was the impetus behind them, and uh, how did you come up with those tables? Cool. I will jump on this, and, and gentlemen, please uh, come in as you see fit. So and, I, and Before you start, Josh, I will yeah, say yeah. this. There's a bit of a homework assignment for everybody when he's done with his response. <laughs> okay. I'll, 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 I'll pull you all into that homework yeah. assignment. So collaborative world building is something that has been a mainstay of my storytelling style for a long time. I really kind of firmly believe in the tenets of what collaborative world building can bring to a table, can bring to a world. You know, just the ability to kind of get the players at your table to buy into the story that we are collaboratively telling is super powerful. And I was lucky enough to go ahead and win the ability to start telling when we started running our patreon actual play which is an actual play series that features our patreon subscribers i was able to be the storyteller and so i started working collaborative world building elements into that story kind of as a way to again get them involved in the story and everything like that so you know it's a huge tenet of my style and it's something i love doing i love bringing players into the creation of the world uh, because i find that for as much fruit as i can go ahead and throw at them the fruit that they bring to go ahead and help tell that story is inevitably better and stronger than the stuff that I can come up with on my own, right? We're all together better than just one of us, right? So putting those collaborative world building tables at the end of the book was something that I was really, really passionate about. We had another publication that came out in November called The Traveler's Guide to Collaborative World Building, which included 20, 25 different role tables for various situations and everything like that. Um, so this is just kind of, it's going to become a thing in all of our books. Because at the end of the day, you know, the three of us are storytellers. More than anything else, we write rules, we write mechanics, we come up with backgrounds, we design cool funky magic items. But at the end of the day, we're storytellers. We're here to help people tell stories and to tell our own stories about things that we want to talk about. So every book is going to have plot material um, like this one does, but every book is also going to have collaborative world building tables to go ahead and give storytellers and players at tables more tools to go ahead and make their games more interactive and make them more collaborative because it's a really nice character to bring to your table. So, And it's also um, kind of the whole collaborative world building thing is signature to our, I figured I'd let you close, Lee. You had a commercial and everything you said. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Uh, the uh, it, it's detail and background and all of the little pieces that we can bring together to help bring a scenario, a setting, a scene to life is kind of a big part of what we do and the things that we talk about when we talk about how we play our games as well. So it's not just in the straight up tables. You'll also find it and you're going to see it more in future publications because we're playing with how to insert it here. You'll see it throughout the book in other areas to lesser degree, like in the backgrounds you'll find on the interplanar mercenary. Uh, part of the story behind them is that they were left behind by their team because if you can't keep up, yeah. you're left behind. There's no there's no time for you know anything else. So one of the questions to the player, and you'll find in parentheses this little question to the player to help them develop their story more. It's not collaborative with the DM live in session, but it's a world building prompt to help them flesh themselves up more is, are you okay with that? Or are you desperately trying to find a way to reconnect with your team and rejoin the previous interplanar mercenary group that you used to be with? But you'll find little questions like that spread throughout it, especially in the backgrounds, just to help. No, I think that's a great way to kind of even getting the players to think about their character and build their character. I think, you know, I always promote story immersion and I think that's yeah. a huge way to do that. Yeah. yeah. So Josh did a fantastic job of answering the question. Glenn, great additional information as far as some of the other ways we implement that concept into our publications. A bit of the history behind that was we did an episode. This is the homework assignment. We invite mm -hmm. anybody listening to the sound of our voices to go back to that episode on collaborative world building. What and number listen. is that? 
I don't have the number off the top of my head. That's my homework assignment. Learn that number. Uh, my bad. That was that was that was yeah, a total, you caught total me out. thick you move. Me apologies, out. Yeah. apologies, bro. <laughs> That's right. I'm good. But listen to that episode. See some of the things we're talking about there. Check out the collaborative world building book because those tables are for all kinds of situations. We even have a few of them that are designed for modern games or sci-fi games that are specific to that. I actually wrote one that hasn't seen publication yet, but we'll probably see one in the future specifically for Black Hat Gaming's The Spy Game for the AP that's going to be airing next week as we're talking live now so that we could do it. And I actually played with it as opposed to the way it was done the first time I sat at a table as a player with the collaborative world building where Josh had us each roll. We each got our prompt and we each had to, in one scene came up with our prompts. What I did was I actually had an idea of where each of the prompts could fit into the story arc. Everybody rolled and I knew what their roles were and I would just highlighted where they were. And then when we got to that scene, I would say, you know, Johnny, you're listening to the radio and a song comes on. Tell me about the song and what it reminds you of. And so, like, I did the same thing, but I placed it at different times as so as opposed to one scene that had collaborative world building, every scene had at least four or five prompts in it. And so depending on what people rolled, determined when they got their prompt come out. And I think it worked really, really well. And it's definitely something that I'll continue to do with the adventures that I write and the adventures that I run is really build up for that kind of concept. Nice. That is episode 49 for those playing at home. Excellent. (laughs) I will definitely have to check that one out. Yeah. You know, we're 85 episodes in. I can tell you what we talked about so far. (laughs) I couldn't tell you what episode it was in. No. Unless it was like a particular episode, then it'd be like, oh, is that one like three or four? (laughs) Unless it was in the last two or three. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've slept since then. It's okay. <laughs> it just I shot out you, of my mouth before I could stop it. My yeah, I, I can tell you the first three, and I can tell you generally a season that we did it in. That Was that spring or was that summer? I can yeah. give you that, but beyond the first three and that generalization, I'm going to come off at a loss. That's, but that, again, so that's also only because we started this podcast when Tasha's Cauldron of Everything came out. So okay. our first three that's episodes right. were all on Tasha's Cauldron of Everything. Nice. Like that's, and background. That's easy. Yeah. And yeah. background. All right. Well, I think that brings us to the end of the interview portion of tonight's episode. One of the things that we love to do with our guests is to roll some dice on our monster mashup table Yay. and meet a creature on the fly. So if you all have dice available and you're up for it, I'm going to let you decide amongst yourselves who's going to roll what when. Ooh. I have right. dice available. We, we, shaky, shaky I, math rocks. So hopefully we don't see the complete dissolution of tabletop journeys as they argue over who gets to roll which die. No, we've argued over far worse things than that at this point. I have dice available and my Christmas present dice roller that Josh got me and painted by Steve Pugh at Dads with Nerdy Ambition. I poached awesome. it from an auction we were both bidding in because he, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Uh, you know, I spent friends. the whole yeah. wallet and lost, and Josh is like, ha ha. I'm like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you. All right. I'm claiming D12 just for the reference here. So, the so first there we go. roll yeah. for tonight is going to be a D4 roll for its mode of locomotion. I'll get this one. Do it, Superman. One. Oh, it dun, flies. Dun. Okay. Okay. Writing this down here. You have to draw. Let's give this quite a few options. I like it. Yeah. All right. I like it. Yep. Uh, Next up is a D6 roll. What does it eat? Got it. It eats sixes. 
Sixes. It eats carrion. Okay. So I'm seeing like a giant buzzard or something. Maybe yeah, yeah. could be a space creature since we're doing a whole multiverse thing too. So oh, I mean, totally it could be like a, like some sort of like giant worm creature that like flies around a planet, eating all of the detritus from like satellites and from comets and things yeah, that sit in the upper atmosphere. What's the name of the um, <laughs> a space rock? Space rock. No, there's a term. It's the something cascade for like you know if a satellite gets broken up and it creates a bunch of debris and it continues to make debris, so it makes the orbits unusual. It's not Kepler. It's Kessler. Kessler cascade, something like that. Ah. But something ah. along those lines, maybe it cleans that kind of stuff up. Yeah. Or you know, carrying. So it has to be peopleish or organic. But yeah. whatever that is, I think they said it on Strange New Worlds, the episode I just watched. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. Next up is a D8 roll for size. All right. I got this one. Uh, four. Four? It's medium. Okay. Right. So it's probably not interstellar. Yeah. Probably. <laughs> yeah, right. Oddly yep. enough, I think this is the first time we've actually gotten a medium monster. I think you're correct. Yeah, generally these roll a bit higher. These yeah. could be something like, again, if we're still going with the space theme and not terrestrial, they could be something that kind of like follows behind the ships, uh, like the dolphins and stuff, dude, and the pilot whales. Yep. Kind of. My, like, my knocks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Oh, I like it. Yeah. I kind of want to see them. Almost like a manta ray. Okay. Yeah. Ooh, that like that. Sort of okay, I can dig yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be awesome. All right. Next up is another D8 role, social organization. Ooh. I got this one. Two. Two. A pair. Okay. So they travel and live in pairs. Pairs. Okay. All right. Mm, interesting. All right. So here's the question. Do we want... To roll on the native environment if we're making something space, because space is not on the native environment. (laughs) Do we want to just skip over that and call it a space thing, or do we want to roll on it? I think we're all feeling the space. I think we're all feeling the space thing. So so I'm going to make the executive decision that we're just going to skip over the D10 roll. All right. Um, So next is a D12 roll for method of defense. Two, again. It's got a bite. I like it. Jump, jump, jump. Well, it eats carrion, so that makes sense, yeah, right? Yeah, it makes sense. So I'm kind of seeing this as something that follows ship. The other thing I'm seeing, since they are medium creatures, you know, kind of going with the whole piratey theme, but, you know, you generally have, like, the monkey or the parrot or something like that. You know, maybe this is, like, the captain's pet or companion or not quite familiar, but, yeah, we could go along that way, too. Yep. So maybe it can be kind of vicious at times, too, and you can kind of sick it on somebody. I have an idea. Yeah. Okay. Uh, like I was the, thinking the sharks uh, that follow in the wake of a boat, so, you know, like that. Yeah. Yeah. Or space seagulls. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes, and they just steal stuff. I love yeah. it. <laughs> my, my giant flying space raccoons. <laughs> what if they're like remoras, where they attach themselves to the underside of the Underside? Ship? Okay, yeah. yeah. See, I was going to say, yeah. it sounds to me like they're a cross between the flying manta ray creatures from World of Warcraft Outlands. Oh, the Nether Marsh yeah. And the algae eater that suctions to the side of your yes. fish. Yeah, I love yep. it. Yep. Or yep. the side of a yep. shark or the side of a corpse or yep. just eating space barnacles. I, yeah. I love it. Or they yeah, can exactly. eat residual yeah. psychic energy yep. since psychic energy is kind of what's fueling uh, ships. Yeah, oh, I mean, yeah. That, that we could stretch that into carrion too. I mean, because yeah. yeah, again, we, our definitions are fairly malleable. Yeah, yeah. once it's expended, I would say that that would fall into that realm. Yeah. Yeah. Totally, and yeah. and they, these are just generalized terms, so we can yeah, twist so. it to whatever we want. It's a homebrew podcast. We can do whatever the hell we want. <laughs> totally, exactly, right, yeah. yeah and if there's one thing in- we know, it's some twisted. But for its sucky, bitey maw, instead of just having, you know, like one row of teeth, it's got like the mighty sarlacc. Oh, like a lamprey. Yes. Yes. Yeah. The spice it- worm. The spice, it must flow. 
if it feeds on psychic energy, does anyone who is like sleeping in the vessel near where this thing is embedded start getting like nightmares and day terrors and stuff like that? Like actually like draining its psychic energy to feed this thing. So that's like oh, that. Then that's the carrying. Oh, yeah. Angle, right? It's like, it's Wait, not oh, just yeah. like, it doesn't just like feed on the residual. Like it actually like drains psychic energy mm, from whoever like it's that. feeding on. What if it drains spell levels? Dude. Oh, well, psychic like energy slots. would. Yeah. yeah, spell slots. Yeah, so it feeds on arcane carrion. Ooh, yeah. that's br- that's not nice. <laughs> James is not a nice person. I'm <laughs> just not figuring this out. <laughs> okay, next up is a d20 roll for quirks. All right, d20, here we go. Not nosed. Here it comes, already. Uh, 16. 16. Okay, this plays into what we're going with so far. It is parasitic slash invasive. Yes. Love yeah. it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, Perfect. Mm-hmm. This might be what the Oblivion mind leech evolves into. Oh, I wow. that. Oh, yeah. Nice. I really did love the Oblivion mind leech. I mean, like such an awesome, disgusting concept, <laughs> right? And it's so simple. Like, it. It, it is so magical in its simplicity. Like I would love to say that Luanika or I contributed to that, at, but no, that was purely your brainchild, man. As and it was 100% Glenn required yeah. nothing from us at all yeah. other than <laughs> yeah. to say, that's yep. so gross. It's awesome. It's awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, th- th- like, thank hey. you for making it an item, not a creature. <laughs> Take a babble fish. Now yes. turn it into body horror. Oh, yeah, right. exactly. A yeah. little bit of both, yeah. A little bit of exactly. both. Exactly. See, I didn't bring up butt flies this time. I'm just putting that out there. Oh, <laughs> this is, this is yes, this is the one time. <laughs> and yet you just did. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So just to keep the number of rolls even, and because we skipped the D10 roll, I think we're going to roll on the make a weird table three times tonight. I like it. Ooh. All right. So I'm going to need a D100 roll from each of you. Okay, dokie. 44. 44. What are the odds of that? 51. Uh, go ahead and write them down. 44, 51, and... 43. 43. Okay. Oh, bad. We're just going to throw them all at you at once. Huh? <laughs> That's all right. Yep. It's like we're, asking we're for We're perfectly initiative. mediocre. That's fine. Yeah. We were all so excited. We just threw dice. <laughs> That's how it should right. be. Like, it's actually been six days. I didn't have a game this week. So. <laughs> I played Spire last night. That was my first game in like three weeks. Yeah. <sighs> okay. So I'm just going to go numerically, starting with 43. Its movement patterns, when closely studied for eight hours, produce a highly accurate augury. Interesting. Okay. Okay. Well, it's attuned into psychic energy, so yeah, yeah. yeah. Some, that, some, that vibes uh, nicely. Yeah. Okay, this one's fun. Forty-four is highly nutritious. A hand-sized portion counts as a daily ration. Nice. So now, if it's hanging around your ship, not only is it a nuisance, it's a food source. Yeah, for a medium creature, it's one of those things that. Yeah, no, I like that. And you know, it's a ray, so. Is this one of those, a pig that good, you only eat it one leg at a time? Yeah. (laughs) Depending, well, I mean, it's a parasite, so if if it's attached to your ship, it's going to be causing problems, so you kind of want to find these and eat these. The question is, is do you use these as kind of like a siege-type weapon or a shock weapon where you keep these and then you send them out to kind of subvert your enemies and then run around them or kind of weaken them before you nail them? You do realize that you could literally catapult these with our siege weapons. (laughs) (laughs) Enemy <laughs> and they fly. So, so you just and keep, on the nutrition you front, clip their wings and just send them. You keep them <laughs> contained in lead-lined barrels, yeah. so that they can't emanate out. Oh, so the right, cask right. breaks open and they just like oh, sucker yeah. in. Yeah, it breaks oh. open and they flop out, and then they just sort of start sucking up all the psychic <laughs> energies around them. Nice. 
And they may be nutritious, but that doesn't mean they taste good. I mean, right. they can taste like absolute crap. <laughs> yes. They could be the stuff that you will keep you alive, you know, when your ship is dead and floating through the void, yeah. but you don't want to eat it if yeah. you've got anything left to include pickled eggs and okra. I can't remember which Terry Pratchett book it is. Why would you do that to me? <laughs> so there's one of the Terry Pratchett books where he describes, I think it's a certain type of shark, as tasting like an old rubber boot soaked in urine. Mm. Oh, nice. So it tastes like country ham. Yeah, it's like a Carl. Yeah. <laughs> That's see, see, the old. Uh... Right, so we have one more. Number fifty-one can be used in lieu of currency in the local economy. Each individual <laughs> is worth one d ten gold. Okay, so now it does taste good, and you Fabulous. can feed a small village with okay. it. Fabulous. <laughs> All right. Uh... Uh, or maybe it has some other uh, parts that get soaked in all the psionic yeah. energy that are usable in the uh, item creation. Yeah, field. maybe like the maybe its skeletal structure can be used to make amulets or something like that. Right. You know, like shark fin soup or something like that. Maybe it's like a weird yeah. traditional medicine. Earring, spell foci. Yeah. Okay, this thing's kind of weird, but I like it. <laughs> I kind of think so far, I do want to bring up for consideration, though, with the psychic attack, because we say it does, you know, it might possibly drain spell levels stuff. I think that function, if we do that, should work kind of like the night hag, where it infects people's dreams. Because someone was talking about bringing up nightmares in first, so maybe like your first failed DC check, you know, and you start having nightmares and it's there, and you can kind of start working down that way. Yeah, this would be sort of a chronic versus acute exposure yes. sort of deal. So. Yeah. Yeah, Whenever right. you face them in combat, they're not going to be able to do that. But if they are able to attach themselves to the ship and start feeding on you long term, then that's a consideration you have to start yeah. making. Yeah, and when half the crew starts complaining of nightmares, that's when the captain orders the sweepers over the side on lines. Start looking for the great old ones. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, let's go ahead and recap what we got. Do we have a method of defense? Yes, it bites. Oh, that's it right. Bites. Okay, yeah. correct. So, I missed that. Flies, it feeds on carrion. In this iteration, we're translating carrion into psychic energy. Well, and various detritus from the hull. I mean, I'm sure there's space bugs that get on the side of it, you know. It is medium in size. They are found in pairs. They have a bite as their primary method of defense. They are parasitic slash invasive species. And when studied for eight hours, they produce a highly accurate augury. They are incredibly nutritious, and they can be used as currency in the local economy, being worth 1d10 gold per individual. Honestly, the augury by itself would make them valuable for the local economy, just in its own right. But dangerous to use, because if you're studying them for eight hours and you're sleeping anywhere near them, you have a persistent problem, so that's the challenge. No, I love that. There's a group of sorceress, magical people, whether it be divine or arcane, out there working on trying to find a way to use them more safely. Yeah. Like I said, I like a cloister of like just absolutely bat crap mad clerics where they keep these things because you know what? Their stuff's on point, but they're all just out there. Oracle Delphi got nothing on these. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine like a, a sect of warlocks that have this thing as its patron, right? Because if it sucks out spell energy from yeah. other wizards, it has residual spell energy that it can bestow to other people, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, no. Yeah. And again, this does kind of have like an elder god feel to it as well. So. Right. 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 Like, well, there, could, there could be like this giant, huge grandfather of the species out there somewhere. Yeah. And I was about to say, it may be one of those things where they're frequently found at that size whenever they're young and they haven't become clever enough to hide themselves and feed discreetly and all of those sorts of things. And so if they survive long enough, they just keep growing. 
Is yeah. that like kind of yeah. like the lobsters where the, the lobsters never brain. actually yeah. die until they can't grow anymore? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Biologically. Uh, Biologically um, immortal. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Love it. And then eventually you got one that comes on and just lives on the whole world. Nice. So that brings us to the biggest, most important question. What are we going to call it? Phil. Uh, <laughs> so this is always the tough part for us, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like we, <laughs> yeah. All right. We got this cool thing. Now we got to name it. Yeah. Um, so I know that Lou and Nika and I have done this before and I'm desperately going to pull up Google translate because we play a lot with like foreign languages. Right. And so like okay. we'll take like a, like a word and put it into a foreign language and translate it through five or six different languages and come up with something else here. So let's see. So this sounds live radio. I don't, this gives me you know, some um, dude feels to it. Right. Yeah, it does have sort of a I control a spice, I control the universe. Universe type feel, yeah. Bending space and time. Which speaking of, apparently they announced that um Christopher Walken's gonna be the Emperor in, the in Dune Two, yes. I'm very excited yes. about this. Yes. <laughs> the spice, it must flow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do a lousy walking. I was gonna try, but no, yeah. that, that's yeah. You know. So on the name front, right? Going through Google Translate, if you take the phrase carrion sucker, which it kind of sums up what this thing does, and yeah. you translate it into Icelandic, my Icelandic is rough. My so I apologize if anyone in Iceland is listening, but it's roughly race jugger. So yeah, better than nothing. Yeah, okay. race jugger. Race yeah. jugger. Yeah, I was thinking Icelandic, which is a good seafaring. Yep. Yeah, that's going to be too long. I was going to go Telugu. I was thinking uh, Astral Dream Sapper. <laughs> yeah, I like Dream Sapper. That's I like that. Yeah. What did we say this thing evolved from the uh... the Oblivion? Was it the Oblivion Mindworm? The Oblivion, yeah, mind, the leech. oblivion yeah. mind Leech is a tiny earwig thing that lives in your ear. Is there anything Icelandic or Nordic for like mind lamprey? If we went with Zulu, Idala in ing Cuba. In Cuba. I N G C U B A. That's kind of a cool name. The Incuba. And when Josh mentioned that we do this a lot, it's something mm-hmm. that I use greatly in my play by post game. I have renamed in D D Beyond all of my spells using Zulu. Awesome. Uh, or Swahili. And when I'm casting a spell, I actually print that as the words I say. So that's my verbal component. Oh, that's awesome. It's just saying the name of the spell in that other language. Okay. No, that's and great. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. Cause it's gotta be something that you can say kind of like something you're excited to see. And then something like you'd be terrified or, or horrified to see at the same time. So something you could like scream in anger or be like, Oh, you know, <laughs> I, I like the Nkuba. Yeah, I like that. It is evocative of the mind leech that, you know, incubate. It has a false cognate tie there to it. And it flows a little better than the Icelandic one does. Yeah, it does. Well, I mean, we're talking Icelandic here. The Icelandic language (laughs) doesn't flow terribly, terribly well. And again, (laughs) if you speak Icelandic, I'm sorry. I'm sure your language is very beautiful. But to the English ear... It's a little choppy. <laughs> yep. And I almost feel like, you know, senior officers on the ship might call like the younger junior members of the crew, the Incubas, you know, that kind of thing is kind of like a slightly derogatory. Like you're always like, a, you're like a drain on all of our resources. To be specific in Cuba is the word for eater. So like the yeah, word okay. I, the English I put in was carrion eater. So in Cuba is just eater. So Idala would be carrion. If it translates directly, it may or may not. I don't speak the language natively, but based on the way they spaced it, it looks like it's the phrase. I love that for like a, a, a lower officer or like a thing. You're just an eater. You're just here eating our resources. Yeah, I love yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Right. I, yeah. I love when we refer to some of my children as uh, crumb snatchers <laughs> or, you know. Um, okay. 
Yeah. Well, that was a ton of fun. Yeah. Other thing we like to do with our guests is to have them give a shout out for someone else in the community. It can be another podcaster, a content creator, artist, musician, anybody in the TTRPG sphere. Who would you like to give a shout out to today? Oof. Which of us wants to start? This is the one question that we prepared for a lot ahead of time because we wanted to make sure we didn't stomp on, on each other's answers. So that's- <laughs> I'll go ahead. Yeah, I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll jump off the bridge first. I'm not scared. I just want to pull up the thing so I make sure I remember the actual company name correctly this time. So I would love to give a shout out. I mentioned them earlier with the real thing to Jason Ward and Jason Percy, the two gentlemen that ran us through that powered by the apocalypse module for their playtest. That was so much fun. They're doing great things over there. I hear that there are more Faith No More albums to come because they feel they all tell a story. And Faith No More, the band, is working with them and licensing the first one so far. Oh, so, yeah. And their publishing company name, which I can never remember. <laughs> Josh is going to jump in for me real quick because I'm going <laughs> to, while I'm scanning for it. If you need me to. Yeah, go ahead. Accidental Cyclops. It's Accidental Cyclops. Which is a great name, too, by the <laughs> way. They got such a, really it is name, such yeah. a really but great game company name. The real thing captured all of our communications back and forth internally. So that's just what it sticks in my mind as, as opposed to their publishing company. Yeah, yeah. So my apologies, Jason and Jason. <laughs> a ton of fun with, with those folks. Yeah, I'll go next. So Lee Winnie kick you last again. So you mentioned <laughs> uh, uh, you mentioned Mike from 19 Hits the Dragon, a friend of yours, a huge friend of ours. We've been able to throw dice with him a bunch of times. Other podcast hosts that we've been able to go ahead and throw dice with include Danilo from Thinking Critically, which is another fabulous podcast. All three of us are from New England. Uh, he is from the south of Old England, and so our conversation styles are about as diametrically opposite as <laughs> could possibly be. Uh, He's so much fun to play show. with too. So much fun to play with. Exactly when played Yorkos the Brave in an actual play of Against the Dark Master. Um, is such a great character. And then, Luanika, you mentioned Steve Pugh from Dads with Nerdy Ambitions. He also played on the Aliens game this past October. Um, just a ton of fun to go ahead and bring him in. The list of people that we have played with is far shorter than the list of people we want to play with, so hopefully that <laughs> list uh, gets bigger uh, in this year. Um, and I have a last-minute addition, just because you mentioned them earlier, musicians. We would be totally bereft of all humanity if we did not mention Sean McRow, who did the theme music for our podcast, both the introduction and the outro theme. And we use his Patreon for the backing music on anything that we do that needs backing music. Um, so if you are running a podcast, if you're running an actual play, if you're whatever you need, go check out Sean McRow on Patreon. It's like a $5 a month investment. Um, and he you get access to a huge trove of music and he's absolutely fabulous. So, and he does very reasonable commissions. So if he you does want very a unique, yeah. just for you kind of opener or closer, give him a shout, talk to him. He can put something together. It was, it was one of the very first things we did was become patrons of him and then commission him to do our theme song. Cause we yeah. just wanted something that really spoke to us and stood out. Yeah. So that brings it to me, I guess. It does. Yep. All right. So along the lines of folks we've interviewed, I've got two shout outs that I want to throw out and they are for Beth, the Bard and Sadie Lowry, Sadie Lowry, a freelance writer and editor has most specifically worked on many of the Watsi critical role titles, call of the nether deep in specific. We've interviewed both within the last two months. 
and both were amazing interviews. I feel that I asked a question of Beth and her answer was so perfect and so simple that I can't believe I hadn't thought about it. It was basically, how does one become a professional DM? That's like the dream gig, right? And like, how do you do that? And her answer was very simple. She's, you just go out and do it. <laughs> she said, start charging Charge. money for your sessions. Yeah, that's it. That, that was her advice. Yeah. yeah. And, and I'm like, well, huh? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, well, I guess that would work. <laughs> so energized me and what I'm doing and how I do what I do. And just the nature of that conversation improved my craft. Similarly with Sadie, she said it in the interview, but she just felt in our conversation and it really went both ways that we connected. Like it felt like we had been sharing stories for years, even though we were just meeting. We game in similar styles. We look for some of the similar things. And a lot of that just went into Call of the Nether Deep, which is really the first pre-printed module that I've been 100% like, oh my God, this is that good. And I really connected. And I, I just, I got a shout out for those two amazing ladies who are doing great things in the game space and clearly are making a name for themselves and have long before we came along and in their good graces just chose to sit down and talk with us. And it was amazing. Awesome. All right. Last but not least, we're going to give you some time here at the end to plug <laughs> yourself and your stuff. So where we can find you, where we can find your products, how people can get in touch with you if they want to get in touch with yeah. you. Sure. So we are the Tabletop Journeys podcast. Uh, you can check out uh, Tabletop Journeys at www.ttjourneys.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you can't find our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts, please feel free to reach out to us at podcast at ttjourneys.com and we will get onto the podcast platform that you listen to uh, to go ahead and uh, make sure we get that uh, get that set up here. But, you know, uh, we love talking to people that, that are in the space and uh, and like the show. Um, you can check us out on Twitter. We're at TT Journeys on Twitter. Um, if you go to Facebook, search for Tabletop Journeys, you can get connected with the group and the page there. And I uh, have recently started playing around with a social media manager management tool and so rumor has it you can find us on instagram and uh, <laughs> on linkedin and on tiktok of all things uh, so you know so uh you know we'll we'll see so awesome uh and i would also shout out our patreon for those who like what they hear want to support the show help us reach out some other folks one of the greatest things about that patreon is we have uh different tiers for different levels but anybody who's a patron has a shot at playing in our monthly patreon game and many of those are done for actual play. So our actual play episodes are our patrons. You know, they get their opportunity, their moments to shine and kind of do what they, what people are doing all over the world at various tables, but they get to do it with us on air so other people can hear. And I think that's an amazing thing. All right. I'm, awesome. I'm going to give you a little prompt. Uh, can you, can you plug your DM skills store? Of course. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Why we're here. That's right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So the, the book, the, <laughs> the, the name of the book is The Traveler's Guide to the Multiverse. It is available on DMs Guild right now, as are all of our publications. We have three big publications. We have uh, Traveler's Guide to Collaborative World Building, which we mentioned earlier. Um, and then we have, in line with Van Richten's guide that came out, we have some uh, some gothic character packets uh, that we put together for that also. Uh, but the latest and greatest is The Traveler's Guide to the Multiverse. So. Excellent. Well, thank you so very much for joining us today for Undercommon Taste. Yeah, this has been a ton of fun. Thank you, guys. Oh, same for us. Yeah, thank you for having us. Thank you all. It was was great. It's it's been a blast. And thank you, everyone, for listening tonight. If you have any comments, suggestions, or ideas, please send us an email, undercommontaste at gmail.com, or send us a direct message through our Twitter account at UCT Homebrew. 
You can also find us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitch, uh, TikTok, and YouTube. Just search Under Common Taste. Uh, we are also on Patreon, patreon.com slash Under Common Taste. That's where we put all of our write-ups. That's where the Incuba uh, write-up is going to be once I get it done and up uh, sometime next week. Um, Excellent. And finally, we are also on Discord, and you can find a link to that Discord in our show notes. We'd love to have you come and talk to us. If this is your first time finding our podcast, welcome, and we're glad you found us. Uh, You can find our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. We're on Apple Podcasts, uh, iHeartRadio, Google, Spotify. As always, please subscribe. Also, give us a rate and review. This helps increase our visibility and lets us know what you want to hear more of. Thanks once again for listening. Stay safe. We'll see you next week as we start our deep dive into Gehenna. And happy gaming. Thank you for listening to another episode of Undercommon Taste. You can find links to all of our social media accounts, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and Twitch, as well as our Patreon and Discord channel in the show notes. Our theme song is Massacre Anne, written and performed by Mary Crowell and used with permission. You can find more of her work at marycrowell.bandcamp.com or on Patreon at patreon.com slash drmaryccrowell. Our logo was illustrated by David Sutherland. You can find him on Instagram at willx underscore 73 or on DeviantArt at deviantart.com slash David Sutherland. Thanks again for listening. Stay safe. We'll see you again next week.